gives it to Wall. Working against Bradley for three. John Wall! What a shot! Three balls, two strikes, the pitch. Swing and a long drive! Bledsoe back to pass, steps up, going deep, caught ball! T.O. is leveled by Sean Taylor, and he's slow getting up. There's going to be a run back from 9 deep for Jacoby Jones, and look at him go! Jones is past the 50, and he is flying! Inside the 20, and a kickoff return, 109 yards and a touchdown, an all-time record! Holding inbounds to Nicholas. Four seconds, three seconds, he's across midcourt. Two seconds, one second, throws it up. Money. And he got it! And the Terrapins win on the shot by Nicholas at the buzzer! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Puck in front, Connolly with a chance! And they score! They score! The puck on a rebound for Lars Eller! And as the puck drops, the words that DC fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to the DMV Dispute brought to you by DMV Sports Network. You can follow us on Twitter at DMV Dispute. I'm your host, Jeremy, and you can follow me on Twitter at jsquared 21 I'm joined today by my boys and my co-hosts, Darren and Gerard. Darren, Gerard, how's everything going with you all? Going great. Awesome. Everything is good. Everything's good on my end, too, guys. All right. Gerard, where can they find you on Twitter? They can find me on Twitter at RoddyKG. That's at R-O-D-D-Y-K-G. And what about you, Darren? Uh, I am D-Bird Hoops. That's D-B-I-R-D Hoops on Twitter. Real quick shout out since it hadn't been officially announced last week, but Elena Deladon was voted the WNBA MVP and she received the award on Thursday. So so a quick shout out to EDD. That's huge. Uh, Mystics got a 2-1 lead on Vegas. They dropped one uh, in Vegas on Sunday, but we'll see if they can bounce back. We'll talk about that a little bit later. All right, all right. As always, we are proud to do this podcast for one of the top sports websites in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, and that is dmvsportsnetwork.com. They could be followed on Twitter and Instagram at dmv underscore sn. They have some great daily content on the website of all things DMV sports, whether it be professional, college, high school sports, and a lot more. So after you listen to this podcast, go ahead and check out dmvsportsnetwork.com. In addition, please be sure to subscribe to our show wherever podcasts are available, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, and many more. Let's move on to our first topic for this episode, the Baltimore Ravens. They got their first loss of the regular season, and they now have a 2-1 record. They lost to the Kansas City Chiefs 33-28. to uh, Lamar Jackson had an okay game, 22-43 for 43, uh, passing, 267 yards, and he had, I think, two rushing touchdowns. Mark Ingram, the second, had 16 carries, 103 on the ground, 
and three touchdowns, uh, but they fell to the Kansas City Chiefs. There were, uh, some people may say, questionable decisions by head coach John Harbaugh. He tried to go for three two-point conversions during the game, one of them occurring earlier in the early in the game after their first touchdown after the Kansas City Chiefs committed an illegal formation penalty. So they decided to go for the two-point conversion from the one-yard line, did not convert that, and then the next two touchdowns, they tried to go for two-point conversions, didn't convert on that which then led them to a situation where in the fourth quarter, they're now down by 11 points, meaning they have to then score another touchdown with a two-point conversion and still convert a, a, a field goal late in the game. I'm going to start with you, Gerard. We understand the situation with the first two-point conversion. We understand, okay, you, you get it from the one-yard line, take your chances. But what about the two other times that happened after that, are, are you okay with John Harbaugh making that decision to go for those two-point conversions? Um, I understand what happened. I understand that when he first got the touchdown and they got the penalty against Kansas City and he could take a chance from the one and virtually QB sneak in for a two-point conversion, it was tempting. For him to do that because they're playing Kansas City in Arrowhead, you know, the points are going to be up there. So you want to get any advantage you can. But I think it was a simple case of overcoaching. He he thought too much about it and was too tempted by the fruit of the two-point conversion. And instead of taking the points and sending his defense out there, he... Went for two, they didn't get it, and then they fell in the trap of being behind by that extra point for every touchdown they got after that. So they were kind of stuck in a loop that they had created for themselves. So I understand the beginning of it. I understand why he did it initially. It's just one of those things where if they were able to get the extra point the right way the first time and just have it be a 7 in game, then they wouldn't have missed out on all those other two-point conversions because they wouldn't have attempted them unless they needed to. Because one thing that the two-point conversions can do for you, if you get it, great, you know, pumps up your team, but if the other team can stop you from getting it on the end zone on from the two-yard line, it pumps up the other team. So now the other offense goes out with a little bit of extra fire underneath them and now it's hurting you on both sides of the ball so i understand why harbaugh did what he did but at the end of the day he should have just stuck with his with his coaching smarts instead of overthinking himself yeah i i definitely tend to agree with that i think it was pretty clear that from the start you know harbaugh was going to approach this he was going to try to be aggressive as aggressive as possible and i think you know, another factor is just the team that they're playing. You know, you're you're looking at Kansas City and you're thinking, you know, you're you're trying to get into a shooting match with them. Basically, you're 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 trying to get all those points on the board with the two point conversions and whatnot. Um, it just it wasn't smart. It just wasn't smart um, decision making from Harbaugh. And really, you know, there are there are just questionable coaching decisions. I think I think all you know all game. Um, but yeah, I'm basically in agreement, you know, the, you, you can't really, uh, like I, like you said, I definitely understand why he did it, why he went for the two point conversions, 
but I think you just got to stick to your offense. You got to stick to what you trust and stick to what you've been doing that's got you this far. I think it was definitely a matter of, you know, just looking at that opponent, seeing it's Kansas City and really wanting to, I guess, kind of prove yourself um, against that opponent. But if you just look at it, if you just look at it, uh, it, it just seems like, you know, he was trying too much. Like you said, it was overthinking. You know, that wasn't the word I was, that I was going to use. But, you know, when you said overthinking, I definitely, I definitely think, oh, yeah, that, that's definitely what it was. So he's just overthinking it. And I think, it, I think that against almost any other opponent, you know, it probably wouldn't have been that kind of case. But I think when you look at it, uh, with them playing Kansas City and whatnot, especially at Arrowhead, Harbaugh trying to make a statement. Um, he's definitely overthinking it, definitely trying to be a little bit too aggressive. But yeah, I, I'm not really like like you said, I, I get it, but I I wouldn't have made those decisions if I was if I was John Harbaugh. Now let's let's still continue with this game. The score was 33-28 and uh Mark Ingram had a very good game. We know that the Chiefs are going to score a lot of points. This I think was the t- I saw some crazy stat where I think it's now 25 games of like scoring 25 plus points a game, something like that. I can be wrong, but it's something along those lines. So we knew that the offense was going to do well, but even after the loss, is there anything, any sort of like, uh, you know, any sort of, you know, good feelings that the Baltimore Ravens could come that, that they've come out with, with this game. We'll start with you, Darren. I think that you can definitely see that the Ravens definitely have weapons on offense and, you know, Lamar Jackson is still looking. It wasn't a great game for him. I I know that Gerard, you said that he looked pretty good. I thought it was kind of a disappointing game from Lamar Jackson. Um, uh, You know, it was kind of an uneven passing game and whatnot, but you are still, still kind of seeing, um, the weapons they have, you know, like you mentioned, Jeremy, uh, Mark Ingram, uh, he rushed for was it 103 yards and three touchdowns, and that's yeah. Great. I mean, you, you know, you know what he's gonna bring. Um, uh, Gus Edwards had a good game. I think he's a, he's a name that that we haven't really talked about that much either. Um, you know, they definitely are showcasing some of their weapons, but at the same time, you know, a game like this is one of those games that that sort of exposes uh, the defensive side of the ball. So when your offense is struggling a little bit or when your offense does fall behind, you know, there are definitely issues with the defense, you know, there's secondary issues. Um, You know, the Ravens are still giving up, you know, I think I read a stat. It's like they're giving up like 361, 362 passing yards per game, something like that. Um, I think that more receivers need to get involved in, in, Lamar Jackson's passing game. I mean, we know that this is going to be a very, we knew coming in that this is going to be a run heavy offense simply because that's clearly what the Ravens were building. Um, I think there's a little bit too much trying to showcase, you know, Lamar Jackson can throw the ball. Lamar Jackson can throw the ball. We know that there are some options where it's just a better idea to run the ball, you know, stick with your running. Um, But yeah, I think you can definitely see that the Ravens do have uh, offensive tools, but you know, I think they are going to need to pick up the defensive execution, especially when they go up against these tougher teams like you know the Kansas Cities of the world and whatnot. 
So, but overall, you can be a little bit optimistic about, you know, this Ravens offense in general. It's just the defensive end is probably going to need a little bit more. Gerardo, how do you feel about the, even though that they lost about the Baltimore Ravens in their, their play yesterday against the Kansas City Chiefs? Um, I kind of echo some of the similar sentiments that Darren was talking about. Uh, watching that Ravens game, it was really the first time I was able to sit down and watch the Ravens game uh, live. And so watching it, I liked what I saw from the running game. Their defense has some injuries. Jimmy Smith is one of the cornerbacks there not, who's not playing at the moment. So they have a little bit of issues in pass coverage because even against teams like Miami, uh, they've had issues with defending the pass, and you go against the reigning MVP and all the speed they have at receiver, you're going to come into some issues. And so and that's what happened. But uh, one thing about the passing game that I will say, Lamar Jackson has been good throwing the ball. He hasn't really missed as much because I've seen some other second-year quarterbacks play. I was able to see Josh Rosen a little bit yesterday, see – Baker Mayfield a little bit, and and Lamar Jackson, he has about as much accuracy, if not better accuracy, this these first few games as they do. And I think the issue is, and it's similar to an issue that's, uh, that the Redskins have had for the past couple of seasons, but once Jackson and Garcon left, they don't have guys who can get open reliably. They don't have the receivers that can win in the short and the intermediate game. You know, uh, Hollywood Brown, he's faster than a lot of people, but if the defense it has a safety that's deeper than deepest and won't let Marquise Brown get that uh, get that uh, space downfield, then you have to rely on your other receivers to be able to get open. And right now, it's just their tight ends who are able to create space, and that's because the defense is allowing that because they don't have a Travis Kelsey or a uh, – you know, Jimmy Graham for a few years ago or healthy Jordan Reed, they don't have a vertical threat type of tight end who can, you know, run a receiver route. They have really good tight ends, but they don't have a guy who you really are scared of 15 yards downfield. So they're um, not really getting what they, the most they could from the receivers. I think that needs to change. But other yeah, than why? that, but go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you can you can finish. I say, but other than like I said, I like the run game. I like the tandem they have between uh, Ingram and Gus Edwards. I like what uh, Lamar Jackson is doing. He's choosing when to run. They're less designed runs, um, but they're plays that are designed to get from options, rollouts, and boots that are that present running lanes for him if he needs to take off as well as giving him some options downfield for his receivers. So I like what I'm seeing out of the Ravens offense. It's just the receivers. You could tell they're in desperate need of a guy who can win against press coverage, who can find the holes in the zone, and they don't have a reliable guy receiver uh, yet. Not saying Marquise Brown can't be that guy eventually. He's just not that right now. Well, I thought, see, I, it's interesting because I think it sounds like you're a little bit higher on Lamar Jackson's performance from Sunday than I was. Because I thought, 
I thought he was all right. I thought he he definitely showcased, like definitely, um, you know, as far as his running and whatnot, I think it was great. But I thought as far as his throwing, I thought it felt a little bit off on Sunday. You know, I thought he missed some some definite wide open receivers, some guys that he definitely could have hit. And I thought he he threw a few passes that definitely should have been intercepted. Um, but but some of his receivers happened to make, you know, good catches that 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 definitely, you know, got him out of trouble and made it look a little bit better. But, you know, I, I saw I saw several several balls that that were thrown a little bit short um, and just like missing wide open receivers and whatnot. So I thought that I thought that he could have. I thought that he could have done a little bit better. So I'm wondering if, if it was just kind of the moment getting to him, you know, being at Arrowhead, cause you know, it, it's tough to win at Arrowhead. It's tough to win in Kansas. City. It is. Um, it's very tough. So I, I, I'll definitely chalk some of that up to the pressure of just playing against the chiefs at Arrowhead. You know, it's loud. It's hard to hear all that stuff at Arrowhead. It's, it's, it's crazy playing there. Um, so I'll definitely chalk some of that up to that. But at the same time, you know, I, I thought that, I thought that he didn't play necessarily up to par, up to where we've seen him play, at least in the first couple games. Not that he was terrible or anything by any means, but I just thought that it it, it wasn't... Like, if I had to grade that performance, I'd probably give it about a, a, a C- minus, just based on what I think Lamar Jackson is capable of doing. I mean, I wouldn't rank it much higher than that. I'll give it a C-plus at best. He is... Um... You know, he's a guy that is still learning how to be a true NFL quarterback in the sense of being able to recognize what throws and and such he needs to make and when he needs to make it, you know. In year five, you won't see him making cross-body throws 30 yards downfield. That's a true toss-up and all that good stuff. You won't see him making that kind of throw because he he might be able to – understand the game a little bit better as a passer now yesterday now yesterday he had 43 passing attempts Lamar Jackson should never have 43 passing attempts in a game it's that's not how their offense is built so them going down as early as they did they're 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 the whole team is based around we are going to run the ball. We're going to run West Coast, nickel and dime, and use of uh, the threat of our running game and the play action to uh get you to get you scared of the run and then take something off the top that's what they're that's what they're set up to do there and so if a team forces Lamar Jackson to have to throw 40 times they're in a good position because most likely they're winning and it's not going to be every team that could put 30 points up in three quarters on the Ravens defense it, it even now, with their injuries uh, and the transition they've made, the Ravens' defense will always be a good defense. So it's all—it's not going to always be the situation where they have to abandon the run later in the game because they have to get downfield in, in chunks. Yeah, the the Ravens definitely did try to be a little bit too balanced on the at least in the first half they tried to be a little bit too balanced as far as running the ball and and throwing it so i think yeah definitely relying on the run game a little bit more because that's that's what their that's what their offense is built around it's built around around the run game so yeah um i definitely agree with that 
All right, let's move on to our next topic it is the Washington Redskins. And unfortunately, Gerard had to step away for this segment. And this is, I really wanted to hear what he definitely has to say about uh, we'll this to, game. We'll have to catch him next week. <laughs> the Washington Redskins, what was, what was the final score for the Redskins game? 30, uh, uh, thir- 31 to uh, 15. 31-15 at halftime or approaching halftime, the Redskins were down 28-0 before Dustin Hopkins kicked in a last-second field goal before the half to make it 28-3. Uh, and then the Redskins actually scored two touchdowns uh, in, in the third quarter, and uh, they did not convert the two-point conversions. And then they had a crucial fourth and one where Case Keenum uh, decided to uh, do a QB sneak, and he tried to jump over the pile. They stripped the ball from him, and then that was pretty much the nail in the coffin for the rest of the game, and the Redskins end up losing on Monday Night Football. Uh, I had an interesting stat here about the Washington Redskins uh, on Monday night, and at the last 19 Monday night games, do you know what their record is, Darren? Uh wait 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 I think I saw this earlier. Um, is or now it, you could say the last twenty now. But go right. ahead. Is it something like? Is it is it like one in nineteen or something? I was trying to remember what it was. Pretty close. Two and eighteen. Two and eighteen. Uh, That's the last twenty yeah. Monday night games. Uh, the last one I can remember them winning was probably the Cowboys in two thousand five. That uh, Monday Night Miracle. Can you even remember the last, the the other one that they might have won? No. Yeah, man, that's that's beyond pitiful when it comes to the Washington Redskins. But let's start with you, Darren. Uh, yeah. Let's start with the good for the Washington Redskins. What is something good that you saw come out of this game for this team? Uh, Terry McLaurin has. Uh, he has three touchdowns in his first three games as a rookie, which is very, very impressive. You know, that kid's going to be a star for, for the Washington Redskins. I mean, there, there's obviously very little good to take away from this, from this team, but yeah, he's, he's definitely a stud. And if you can look at any of the positives that the Redskins have, have to build on, um, it's definitely uh, that that young wide receiver Terry McLaurin. Like he's making amazing catches. Um, probably some catches that he honestly had no business catching. Like I think he's just gonna be he's just gonna be a star in this league. And I think he's he's only gonna get better from here. So if he just continues his upward trend and he's able to stay healthy, then he's gonna be amazing. Um, I don't think I have much other. Uh, I don't think I have many other good things to really take away from that game aside from the fact that you know Case Keenum is Case Keenum isn't a great quarterback but I think he's he's passable-ish I guess you could say um you know when you look at it against the the Chicago defense I think he did make some good reads and whatnot I mean his 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 performance was kind of a mixed bag for me uh but yeah, I that's probably going to kind of go under the ugly, I guess. But it, it, his performance is kind of a mixed bag, so definitely not good, I guess. But you know, as far as Terry McLaurin, I think we can all agree that that he was the best part of of tonight's game by far. 
Yes, Terry McLaurin was actually who I was also thinking of. Uh, if I have to choose someone else, it is uh, London Fletcher. They put him oh, into yeah. the Ring of Honor at halftime. So that was probably the only other good when it comes to the Washington Redskins. Let's go to the bad. Uh, I'll start it off. Ooh, okay. The uh, defensive line. Yeah. They, they didn't really look too good. I know Montez Sweat got a sack in the first quarter, but this offensive line for the Chicago Bears is not known to be really good. Uh, so we thought this was going to be a game that maybe Trubisky was really going to be hurried a lot and get sacked a lot. Uh, like I said, Montez Sweat got a sack, but that was early in the game. And once once the game settled down, it seemed like Trubisky had enough time to, to, to do what he was doing. And Trubisky, by the way, got his first three touchdowns of the season all tonight. So uh, all to Taylor Gabriel. And, and part of it is because of that pass rush. So I would say that would be the bad. What would you say would be the bad when it comes to the Washington Redskins tonight? Man, the bad, this defensive line was out here making Mitchell Trubisky look like Tom Brady, like he was just destroying the Redskins, like ridiculous. Like you said, you know, he he got his first touchdown passes of the season against the Redskins. It was just really, really bad. Like they were getting everything. And, you know, the red zone defense continues to be absolutely terrible. Just the defense in general. Like, I don't know. Um, why Minuski still has a job here, but you know something needs to happen with this defense. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with Josh Norman. Uh, he's not looking good. I mean, we need to look to trade him or cut bait with him. He's. I think it's time for him to get up out of out of DC. But yeah, this defensive line has just been awful, and tonight was just you know absolutely terrible. Yeah. All right. So then let's get to the ugly. Start with you, Darren. <sighs> okay. Let's go. Let's circle back to Case Keenum. So Case Keenum has five interceptions uh, this season, and all five of them came tonight. Just, just ugly. Like some of them were bad throws. Admittedly, some of them were, you know, just Chicago stifling defense. I, I get that, um, you know, Khalil Mack just knocking that ball out of his hands and just, you know, um, like you mentioned, the, 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 the fourth, uh, where, you know, he tried to QB sneak and, and it just got knocked out of his hands. Um, but I, it, it was just some of his, some of what he was doing tonight was just ugly. Like, I think in, I think in the second half, he managed to do just enough to to save his his uh starting job which i i think we're going to talk about in a second here um but he he did just enough to kind of save his starting job but it wasn't pretty watching case keenum just throw uh interception after interception or or you know fumble interceptions out there so it was really ugly um yeah and just the coaching in general, just some of the decisions that that Gruden was was making out there, and it just ugh, it wasn't pretty to watch. So yeah, um, 
Case Keenum had had a rough night. And like I said, I get it was against the Chicago Bears defense, but you know, a couple of those mistakes are definitely on him and not on the defense. When it comes to the to my ugly, it has to be Josh Norman. I know you said that was bad for you. He yeah. was ugly for me. Um, I don't care that he got an interception late in the game, or it was the third quarter, uh, late into the. Third and what quarter. was he doing celebrating that interception? Like, like it's, he just won the Super Bowl. What's what's going on there? It's see, that was my thing. You, you sell. He celebrated while the play wasn't over. Right, he almost he was still gave up a safety. Yeah. <laughs> Because he got up at the one yard line and he brought the when he put his arms up, his the ball almost went back into the end zone. Yep. If he was touched at that time, it would have been a safety. And then, you know, uh, and then after that, like you said, um, it that was in the grand scheme of things didn't really affect the game all the way. But then he got torched so many times. He got a couple uh, penalties that were called on him. And like I said, even the, even the Taylor Gabriel touchdown, that was a spectacular catch by Gabriel. It was a bad throw by Trubisky because uh, Gabriel was wide open and and Trubisky couldn't get the ball to him on target, but Gabriel was able to catch it, keep his feet in bound. And And Norman was waving his arms like he did something when it was originally ruled incomplete. He's like waving his arms like he did something like he affected. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? (laughs) So yeah, that would be my ugly. Now let's go to the next, I guess you could say, topic about the Washington Redskins. Case Keenum didn't have a good game. He, like you said, yeah. five. What was it five total turnovers? Five. That he five. Uh huh. Five. Turnovers. And, and, and there, the Redskins are zero and three. Also, just yesterday, the New York Giants had their rookie Daniel Jones start. You had in Carolina, uh, Kyle Allen started in place of the injured Cam Newton. We have uh, Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville who got his second start and all those other quarterbacks actually played pretty decent for their teams. And actually all of them got a win for their teams with all the, the stuff that's happening with the Redskins. Oh, and three, is it time for Haskins? We know. Okay. Before I even ask the question, we know what Gruden has said. He's already said after the game, Keenum is the starter for week four, but is it time for Dwayne Haskins to start week four against the Giants? No, I'm going to say it's not time for him to start just yet. But I think that if Gruden uh, if Gruden has any sense whatsoever, he's got to have a short lease with, with Keenum going forward. So um, my thinking is that if you if you take tonight's game as justification for for putting in Haskins. I mean, you have to take it into account. You have to watch the game. Chicago's defense was really stifling Keenum. And Keenum, this is another thing that kind of ties into the bad or the or the ugly, however you want to look at it. You know, Keenum didn't have any protection against Chicago's defense. Just no one That's was blocking. True. Yeah, no one was blocking Khalil Mack. You know, he, he just kept taking sacks and whatnot simply because he just didn't have the protection. So when I look at this, when I look at this game, and I'm deciding about you know who to start next week. You have to take into that account. I don't, 
I don't wholly place this on Keenum's shoulders. Yes, he's a journeyman quarterback for a reason. I get that. You know, you would almost call him a band-aid, except he can't stick anywhere. So you can't even really call him that. Like, I, I get it. I, and I get the frustration we see in these journeyman quarterbacks uh, in Washington. I totally feel you Redskins fans. But at the same time, you know, we need to see him. I I think especially in the second half, you know, when he did start to lead the rally, I think he did just enough. And I tweeted this on, on my timeline. I think he did just enough to save his his starting job for at least another week. But I think the big thing that you have to look at here is is how he performs against the Giants in week four. So now that we know that he's going to be the starter, and I know that, you know, certain fans out there, you know, y'all want to see Haskins versus Jones. I think you'll get the chance to see that later in the season when they play again, because I'm pretty sure Haskins will be inserted as a starter at some point later in the season. But at this point, I think it's still time to just stick with Keenum. But really, you've got he's got basically one more week to turn it around. If they go 0-4, there's really going to be no excuses uh, after the Giants game uh, to keep him inserted as the starter. You've got to make a change right off the bat for, for the sake of the fans, for the sake of the team, and for the sake of, of Haskins in general. Then I think it'll really be time to get him up there. You know, a week ago, I'd have probably said, you know, give him at least half a season, but I think, you know, week four is kind of it. Um, I do feel like a lot of people are just kind of swept up in the whole, oh, Daniel Jones started and he got his first win, so why can't the Redskins do that, et cetera, et cetera. Like, even if you're watching Monday Night Football, you know, you see all the commentators talking about Daniel Jones and when is Haskins going to start. And, you know, they kept cutting to him on the sideline and whatnot, just talking about it. But I think it's sort of a prisoner of the moment thing without really paying attention to what's going on in the field with the Redskins. So uh, I think that for right now, I'm fine with with keeping uh, Keenum as the starter, but again, it's got to be a short leash. See what he does against um, the Giants, who do not have a Chicago Bears type defense, um, and then see what happens. Because if you, especially if you had inserted Haskins in uh, in this game against the Bears, he would have gotten destroyed, and it would have just been a huge blow to his confidence um, putting him in at this point. Uh, against this team. So I think you let Keenum go for another week, see how he does against the Giants, and if he really continues to stink it up, then, you know, the next week you got to look at you got to look at Haskins uh starting. And I think if I'm not mistaken, um after the Giants, it's the Dolphins? Is that who we play the next yep, week? I think it's yep. the Dolphins, but let me so, double check it real quick. But yeah, I, I think it's the Dolphins. Yeah, it's either, I can't remember if it's the Dolphins or the Patriots, but I think it's the Dolphins. And that's the perfect game to have him to have him. Uh, Actually, it's uh, the Patriots. It's the, it is the Patriots. Okay, so maybe not against the Patriots, maybe not against that <laughs> Patriots defense. Um, but yeah, so uh, the week after that, so so pro probably not, yeah, I knew it was either the Patriots or the Dolphins, so probably not against the Patriots. You probably, you probably keep Keenum in there against the Patriots, but definitely, you know, the Patriots, I know I had them in our little, in our little preseason 
mock-up. I had the Redskins beating the Patriots. You did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're probably going to drop 80 on us. I don't know, whatever. But don't throw Haskins into that fire. I say against the Dolphins, that's the perfect week to start Haskins, see what he can really do. Um, against a game that theoretically should be winnable. Um, I mean, we'll see, obviously, but it theoretically should be a winnable game. That's the game I think you throw Haskins in and, and see what he can do. But yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't throw him against the Patriots. But you know, after that you've got the Dolphins, you've got the 49ers, you've got the Vikings got the bills the jets lions you know after that when the schedule sort of levels out a little bit uh and it's a little bit stressful then you start trying to incorporate haskins into into uh this starting lineup but right now i'm sticking with case keenum through the patriots game so i'll say this i still think keenum should be the starter for the washington redskins Uh, he did throw a pick six so going into the half, uh, that was that was not on the defense, but the defense still gave up 21 points in the first yeah. half. And uh, uh, so the defense is, is a lot of the problems with the Washington Redskins. Yes, he had a bad game tonight, but the first two games of the year, you cannot put that on Keenum. He's actually been okay. I don't think it's enough just because it's a national televised game and People want heads rolling for Keenan Keenum to end up being benched uh, for for uh, this coming week. Now, if they lose against the Giants, yes, this is a Giants team that will not have Saquon Barkley. He's going to be out for a few weeks. This is a Giants team that their defense is so bad they almost allowed the Buccaneers to come back in that game yesterday. The only way they ended up winning was because the Buccaneers kickers are just inadequate. They're terrible. So. That's the only reason why the Giants ended up winning. If the Redskins lose against the Giants, then I I think oof, I think then obviously the decision gets even tougher. Um, I would not start Haskins against the Patriots because Bill Belichick will be enjoying every part of preparation week for that. Uh, so I think I, right at the moment, if the Redskins lose. Uh, the next two games, and then obviously you put them in for the Dolphins, see what you could do, because the Dolphins look like they're going to be a team that will go winless for a long time. So that's where I see uh, potentially Haskins starting. And the interesting thing about the Redskins schedule, the Redskins, what, they were third place last year, so they're playing a third place schedule. Mm-hmm. The 49ers are undefeated. Yep. The Vikings are 2-1. and one. Yep. The Bills are undefeated. Mm-hmm. The next possible game that you may say that the Redskins, you know, are potentially a favorite in is the, the Jets, Jets in yeah. November, November 17th. And even then, <sighs> things may be different with Sam Darnold being yeah. back, you know, so yeah. the Lions are the Lions are technically undefeated. They're 2-0-1. Oh, and one. and yeah. then you get to the Panthers where they're 1-2. So mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone has winning records. After you know, after the Giants and then the Dolphins, yep. you know everyone has winning records all the way through. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with the Washington Redskins the rest of the way. Yep. 
All right. Uh, before we continue, just want to remind you all about DMV Sports Network's library of podcasts. Right now, we have nine active shows, including team shows for the Redskins, Capitals, Nationals, Wizards, and Ravens. There's Fantasy Fever, which deals with all things fantasy football, and a pair of mixed bag shows from It's About Time DC and Dom and Thunder. All of these shows are available wherever podcasts can be found, so please check them out. And if you like any of these shows, please leave a review and subscribe to them on the podcast platform of your choice. Let's now move on to the Washington Nationals. Uh, they have a record of, and I have it up here right now, a record of 85 and 69. They are a half game ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers when it comes to the National League wildcard teams. They have how many games left? Pretty much they play every day up until Sunday. So six more games left for the regular season. Uh, like I said, half game ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers. They are currently up on the Philadelphia Phillies 3-0. So by the time you listen to this podcast, you all will find out the outcome of that game. But uh, with six games remaining, and I'm going to start with you, Darren, do you think the Nationals are going to hold on to the first place wild card spot? I think they've definitely got a chance to hold on to the first the first place uh wild card spot. Um you know, just kind of looking at the rest of their games here on the schedule. Um you know, like you said they're playing the Phillies, they're currently up on the Phillies right now. Uh I think they can definitely win this series with the Phillies. Um is just the Phillies and the Indians. So, um I think that that's I think that those are very winnable games for the Nationals. You know, just relying on on what's got them this far um i think that they'll be in fine position for the wild card race i think it shouldn't be an issue hanging on to that top that top spot you know they'll they should win out against the phillies and then if they drop any of the indians it may be just uh just one game uh to cleveland probably but that's that's about it um i think they'll be fine i'm not super concerned about the nationals i mean it's like i said last week i think I think this this team is going to turn it on uh, for this final stretch of games, and then once they make it into you know the wild card round, and once they're into the playoffs, I think that they can really be a team that's a force to be reckoned with. So I'm not super concerned about them. Um, I think they'll be just fine heading into the wild card race. Yeah, I think I'm not too worried either. Right now, they're up, like you said, on Philly, and there should be a series, especially at home. They should win both. They should win both against Cleveland and Philadelphia, and it's going to. And hopefully, they can do it soon. Hopefully, they can win and against Philadelphia, win the um, decidedly it's a five game series. Hopefully, they win four of them early, and so. And then win that first one against Cleveland, so you can uh, adjust your pitching rotation, so you can have Max starting the playoffs against the wild card. You don't want to have to have it come down to the wire, and that game on Sunday be so important that you have to start one of your ace pitchers, and now you're going into the potential wild card game with a you know fourth or fifth starter. So I want to make so hopefully that's that's my top concern uh right now is making sure that the 
that I hope that the Nationals make sure that they can uh, take care of business quickly and that things get done uh, so they can rest some of their key guys. All right. Now, I do have another question when it comes to the Nationals. Should we as Nats fans even be worried about having the one-game playoff at Nats Park? Like, is it better if the one-game playoff is on the road for the Nationals? And I'll start with you, Gerard. Uh, no, I know what people want to talk about the record. I don't understand that that's something that it's a huge thing with them. So, so they move back to DC, but you should always, you always want to be at home. You always want to be at home, especially when it comes to the playoffs. It's just a matter of figuring out how they're going to be able to do it. This is a different team. This is a new era than the one that, that's been here before. You know, we don't have Bryce. Well, you know, we have Davey here. So it's, it's a different team. So they have, you know, a whole new set of routines and patterns to establish on their own. They're, they're not shackled by what's happened before. So I, I, they definitely should be at home. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think you always want to be at home. This is kind of a universal thing. So, you know, I I I also don't think it'll matter that much, but yeah, I would definitely prefer for them to be at home and and really just just take care of business here. All right, uh, let's move on to the Washington Mystics, and before we get to our topic, uh, Darren, you went to the game on Tuesday, correct? I was at the games Tuesday and Thursday. Tuesday and Thursday. How was yes. the atmosphere at the, uh, is it, let's get the exact name. What's the exact the, name of the arena? The, at the Entertainment and Sports Arena in Southeast oh. D.C. Yeah. All right. By the way, how is the arena? The arena is great. It's it's a very, you know, it's a very intimate feel. You know, the, the Capital City Go-Go, you know, our G League team plays there too. It's great. It, it's it's a really great arena. I love it. You know, I've been going to Mystics games all season. It's really intimate. You can, you know, it, wherever, there's not a bad seat in the house. Wherever you are, it feels like you're on the court. Um, my friend has season tickets, so we actually sit right behind the visitor's bench. Um, every time we go. So it, it's very interesting, you know, uh, for those of you NBA fans that know, uh, Bill Lambeer is the head coach of the Las Vegas Aces. Mm -hmm. So just being able to sit right behind him and hearing everything he says, which I won't repeat all of it uh, for obvious reasons, but, you know, it's, it, it's great. It's a great atmosphere. You know, everybody on the court is going to hear you if you say anything at all. So it's electric. It's nice. Being, being close in. It's kind of like being at a very, you know, if you're at like a, a concert or a comedy show and it's like, it's basically like sitting front row to to that. You're very close to players, very close to action and it's just, it's always amazing and the fans are great. The fans turn out and everyone is hype and it's just amazing, you know, when we're, when we're swag surfing during the game as best as we can do it it's 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 a lot of fun so definitely <laughs> definitely get to your mystics games if you get a chance to well game one of the semifinals, uh the mystics were up by as much as i think 17 points in the second half but then the aces came back and it came down to the wire mystics won 97 95 and then they won game two 103 91 unfortunately yesterday they fell to the aces 92 to 75 i'll start with you darren do you think the Mystics are going to wrap up this series to go to the WNBA Finals 
uh, on uh, what would that be? Uh, is it on that- tomorrow night or Tuesday night? Tuesday night, September twenty fourth. Do you think they're going to wrap it up Tuesday night, or will the Mystics come back home and wrap it up here, or will it be neither? I have a feeling. I have a feeling that they're gonna. It's gonna be a tight game, but the Mystics are gonna pull it out in the last few seconds uh, on Tuesday, on Tuesday night. So I feel like I feel like they're gonna get their heads together. They're gonna be all right. They're gonna they're gonna figure out how to either guard Elizabeth Cambridge, who was just having her way with them on Sunday, or just you know shut down everyone else because you know it's it's really the two most dangerous players on that team this playoffs have been uh elizabeth cambridge and uh kelsey plum they've been kind of getting whatever they want against the mystics pretty much uh so you just got to figure out a way to either shut down one or both of them and then just uh, i think that coach coach tybalt is uh I think he's a good enough coach to figure it out. He'll get them ready. So I think they've got it wrapped up on on Tuesday, honestly. And then um, for those who don't know, the Connecticut Sun also c- completed the sweep over the LA Sparks. So whoever wins this series is playing the Sun. So I think we all want to see a Mystic Sun matchup in the finals because those are two teams that have kind of had each other's number throughout the season. So it should be a good series as well. Yeah, I think they're going to wrap it up at home. I think we've been too good at home this season. I think that even though it's the playoffs and there's a new arena, I feel like they're going to be able to get that home atmosphere that they really want and be able to take the game this week. Um, I mean, excuse me, tomorrow or Tuesday, I should say. So, so Tuesday. So, so you you have them winning at home, or you have them winning in Vegas tomorrow? Oh, excuse me. I have them uh, winning at home. Uh, I think that Las Vegas, as we saw with the uh, Golden Knights and Cap Series a couple of years ago, Las Vegas really comes out for the sports teams. And so with a home base that passionate and with a team that good, not, this isn't a knock on the Mystics. I think the yeah. Mystics probably – I wouldn't bet against the Mystics to win in the Las Vegas, but uh, it's one of those things that, you know, it's they get up for their Las Vegas teams, and I think that, you know, they might be able to, you know, take a game at home. They already did, but maybe yeah. uh, I would probably say I'll take it that the Mystics are going to win no matter what. I know they're, I I know they're going to win no matter what, but right. it's just a matter of if I had to bet on one or pick one, I'll say that it's probably going to come home to D.C. All right. I do believe the Mystics are going to win, and I think the Mystics are going to win game four in Vegas, in my opinion. So uh, we won't even have to get to a game five here on Thursday, and we will be facing the Connecticut Sun. And I think that should be a good uh, like rivalry game because I know there's uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, Darren, you are the WNBA expert, but is there East and West in the WNBA? There, there is, but not but, ju- not when it comes to the playoffs, right? The playoffs is just the top eight teams, and actually, if the Mystics, this is interesting, if the Mystics make it to the finals uh, to face the Sun, it'll be the first time. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. It's I 
I can't remember if it's the first time in WN. I think it's the first time in WNBA history that the finals will be all East Coast teams or all Eastern Conference teams. I believe it. It could be. Yeah, I. I. I think that's right. Where it'll be the first time in WNBA history that the finals is is all East Coast teams. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, yes, I think that's what's going to end up being. It'll be a matchup between the Mystics and the Sun, and I believe that the Mystics will end up winning on the road, and it'll be a sweet victory for the Mystics over another Las Vegas team. Let's now get to the Washington Wizards. Uh, point guard Isaiah Thomas had surgery recently for a uh, torn ligament in his thumb. He is going to be out for six to eight weeks. Uh, start with you, uh, Gerard. You know, it seems like every year someone going into training camp is always hurt. And obviously we know about John Wall. That one, I'm going to give a pass on that one because that was a very serious injury. but. Now, this is the second player for the Wizards. We have C.J. Miles, who's going to be out for a while, and now Isaiah Thomas. You know, (laughs) let's start with Isaiah Thomas. How impactful will this injury be uh, to the Wizards, Gerard? Very impactful. He's the starting point guard in the year that John Wall is out. And so now you go into a tough opening season, a tough opening schedule, on the road with Ish Smith as your penciled in starter to start. Um, and this team was already going to have at least on paper, some trouble generating some scoring and Isaiah Thomas at the very least was able to do that for you. And so it hurts because you probably expected Isaiah Thomas to become injured or to miss a few games this season just because of the injury history that he has but to start off this start off this year with a six to eight week long rehab it's it's tough it's tough for the wizards to try to get ahead of the eight ball here and it's starting off bad so it's not good I didn't like this makeup of this team to begin with, and now it's even worse. And C.J. Miles, he's had his fair share of injuries, too, in his career, I believe, because he's always one of those guys who seem to have talent, but his his issues have always become come from an injury or a consistency issue where he just can't put it together enough nights in a row, and he has all these little tweaks and things that he deals with, and he's getting up there in age, so that doesn't help. But I think that this is impactful just because you take a blow in scoring, you take a blow in your bench death, and it's also a blow to the chemistry of the team because, you know, he should be back within the first few games of the season, hopefully at 100% by that point. And now he has to try to catch up with teammates he's already not used to and he's missing time he's going to miss the entire preseason as well so it's going to be tough for him to find his jail with this team now that he's missing this kind of time yeah uh, it's just honestly it's just sort of more par for the course with the wizards i think that in a season where they probably weren't really expected to do that much uh especially considering he's going to miss the start of the season. I think 
it definitely hurts the Wizards with with Isaiah Thomas being out. Um, And with, like we've mentioned in the past, the Wizards starting the season in Texas, where they have been historically bad, um, it's just an even worse look for the team when you don't have Isaiah Thomas, who's presumably going to be the starting point guard. I can't imagine that they would have gone into the season with Ish Smith as the starting point guard. But now that's basically what we're, what we're forced to, to see. Um, like you said, Gerard, you know, you kind of knew he'd probably miss a few games, probably some lingering hip issues or precaution or, you know, heaven forbid, I hate this term, but load management um, in a season where we're, where we're, not expected to do anything but um yeah you pretty much expected that he would miss some games but not the beginning of the season so uh i think it's a blow especially since we still won't really get to see what he's like and plus doing the rehab and having to come back from injury means that no matter what he's still probably not going to be the player that that he he possibly could have been had he gone into the season healthy, you know. So so that definitely hurts. CJ Miles, I, I mean, I don't think that that was an injury that ever really swung the needle much. Um, I think the biggest thing is it, that is it just hurts depth. I think it just means really relying on more of our younger players, you know, with this team being really young and composed of you know a lot of rookies or you know early players that are early in their careers, et cetera. So I think those are the biggest issues that that we will be looking at as far as uh, these two injuries. But I mean, all things considered, in a season where the Wizards probably wouldn't have won more than, you know, 32 games or 35 games, et cetera, I think it just kind of drops that down to probably under 30, possibly. Um, not a huge not a huge thing considering the Wizards probably weren't expected to win that many games either way. So, I mean, we'll just kind of have to see. All right. I have another topic when it comes to the Wizards. Next year's Olympics, the Summer Olympics will be in Tokyo. Uh, The host country, obviously, Japan and Rui Hachimura will be on the Japanese national team. Or we think he's going to be on the Japanese national team. Do you think uh, the Wizards should uh, convince Rui Hachimura to, uh, you know, sit out the Olympics? Or should he be a real ambassador to uh, our ambassador for Japan and the NBA. Let's start with you, Darren. I am all for Rui Hachimura playing on the Japanese national team at the Olympics, and I don't think the Wizards could talk him out of it, even if they really wanted him to. I think they like the exposure. It seems that the Wizards organization has really been been jumping on the fact that you know they have such a historic moment, having drafted the first Japanese player in the lottery, um, etc. So I think that they're I would say they're going to jump on the opportunity to really have him uh, really showcase his talents uh, on the on the world stage in the Olympics, uh, which is obviously more watched than FIBA. You know, even though 
you know, it's it's a really interesting thing because around the world, you know, FIBA is like the really big tournament. But here in the U.S., to us, you know, it's not as important as the Olympics. You know, the Olympics is like the peak and whatnot. But around the world, it's all about FIBA, the FIBA competition, etc. So I think that the Wizards are really going to jump on the opportunity to have him play for the Japanese national team. But obviously, it all comes down to to him, and you know, obviously, he has to get out of the season healthy. You know that's a thing. He missed the last couple of games for Japan this year in FIBA because of um, ankle soreness or something like that. So it was just kind of precautionary after Japan was eliminated, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think that he definitely should play for the national team, be an ambassador for the Wizards and the NBA and whatnot, get out there on that global stage and really show what he can do. Yeah. Oh, so go ahead, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I don't see him being able to stay out of the Olympics when it comes to Tokyo. And I don't think Ted would want him to stay out. I think, like you said, he loves the fact that it is a, uh, he's his player, one of his players is one of the biggest athletic celebrities in the entire country over there. And I'm sure, you know, the fact that there's a whole bunch of extra merchandise that's being sold over to Japan doesn't hurt. And I'm sure that Ted being a guy who made a lot of his money in tech isn't boohooing at the fact that he's starting to get a little bit of contacts and meet people through the Wizards partnering with some these Japanese uh, companies and people isn't a bad thing either. So I think he's really going to be going over there and be part of the entire Hachimura experience. Uh, you know, and it'd be exciting to have a Wizards player on a national team. I can't remember the last time a Wizards player was on a national team. Uh, was John Vesley ever on one? I, I would, know. Maybe Kevin Serafin, probably. Yeah, or Yon Mahimi, or one of yeah, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't Kevin, think Kevin, Kevin Serafin, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I know Sadoransky played uh at one point, but I don't think he was with the Wizards yet. I think they just still had his draft rights. I don't think he uh, Yes, I think yet. it was something like that. And so it'd be exciting to see an active, potentially starting uh player for the Wizards be a starter on a national team for a country, whether it be the USA or another t- another uh nation. And so is that's something that you know is exciting no matter how you feel about the pick, no matter how you feel about the team. That if you're a fan of the Wizards, that you can look on to the world stage and say, Hey, there's one of my uh, there's one of the guys that's on my favorite team with a country on his back. So that's always a cool thing to be able to recognize and to see. And so, I don't think they're ever going to uh, I don't think they're ever going to deny the opportunity, especially to somebody who's young, as that's as young as he is. All right. Well, that will do it for us here at DMV Dispute. Hopefully you all enjoyed the show. And if you did, subscribe to us wherever podcasts are available. Leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice so we could grow in the charts. Last week, we said there was going to be a part two to college athletics and 
money college athletes getting paid but because of so many different things happening uh right now with dmv sports we decided to table that discussion to another time so we will let you all know when we're going to get into part two of that but hopefully you all enjoyed the show you can find us on twitter at dmv dispute you can find me on twitter at j squared zero two one darren where can they find you on twitter you can find me at dbirdhoops. That's D B I R D hoops on Twitter. Go Mystics. What about you, Jerron? You can find me on Twitter at Roddy KG. That's at R O D D Y KG. Shout out to all of our DMV colleges that had wins this weekend. UVA with an upset over, not an upset, but a comeback over Old Dominion. Liberty over a win over Hampton. And Maryland had the bye week, but Virginia Tech and other small schools had good weeks as well. All right. Don't forget to check out DMVSportsNetwork.com. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at DMV underscore SN. And if you want to join the team, contact them via Twitter, the website, or shoot them an email at DMVSportsNetwork at Outlook.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Peace out.